<laughs> anything you... How's that, Steve? Wonderful. Anyone got anything else? God put up with him. But God's used up all of his patience on Abraham. Fortunately not. That's good. Let's, uh, let's read. We're going to skip chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. Suffice to say, you know, we've, we've been going now for years, like over 20 years, where God has called Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to uh, bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. Uh, through you, all the world is going to be blessed. You're going to have descendants. You're going to have land. And the problem was that Abraham and Sarah were not able to have children. It's been years and years and years. They tried to figure it out and force God's hand with, with the whole Ishmael saga, uh, which we heard about a few weeks ago. But, but it's been ages, and eventually God came when Sarah is well past having kids, and God says, right, next year you're going to have your son Isaac, the one through whom all the promises uh, are going to flow. Uh, he is the, the first link in the chain of God's promises coming through. True. Um, so it's been a long time coming. Chapter 21, verse 1 to 7, we hear about uh, Isaac being born. Uh, Sarah, his mother, is very, very, very happy. Um, and she says, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby, yet I've given Abraham a son in his old age? Um, just to keep us, let us know what's happening there, uh, at the end of chapter 21, um, God goes through, uh, God goes through, uh, Isaac starts growing up, um, Ishmael starts teasing Isaac, uh, that's the slave son, Sarah gets angry, and Ishmael and his mother Hagar leave. Um, seems though, for Abraham, everything is going okay. Abimelech, the king that he tricked, and who got a bit upset with him, comes and makes a, a, a treaty, a covenant with Abraham. Uh, and we read at the end of chapter 21, uh, after making the covenant at Beersheba, Abimelech left with Phicol, the commander of the army, uh, his army, and they returned home to the land of the Philistines. And then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there he worshipped the Lord, the eternal God. Um, can someone from the Thursday Bible study just tell the church what is special about a tamarisk That's Pam's job. It looks pretty much like anything else. It was known as the, the oak of the Middle East, not an oak as we know, a great big sturdy thing, but pretty ordinary looking tree. Um, and they were pretty well everywhere. But the outstanding feature that we discovered when we looked at it was it can be almost totally destroyed and just have the nearest little root on the ground and can grow again. Wonderful. Okay, so Abraham plants this tamarisk tree, which is really pretty cool because Abraham keeps cutting himself down to the ground and God keeps growing him up again. Uh, and there he worshipped the Lord. He worshipped the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham lived as a foreigner in the Philistine country for a long time. But he's worshipping the eternal God. Everything is going well. And then sometime later, some years later I suspect, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. And the next morning, Abraham got up early, 
And he saddled his donkey and he took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. And then he chopped wood for a fire uh, and a burnt offering and set out for the place that God had told him about. And on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and then we will come right back. And Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. And when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. And then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. And then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. And so he took a ram, the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. You might know the German version of that, Jehovah Jireh, which I won't sing for you. Uh, to this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And then the angel of the Lord called again to Abram from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you've obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you have obeyed me. And then they returned to the servants and they traveled back to Bathsheba where Abraham continued to live. This is one of those Sunday school stories, isn't it? Which is disturbing because it's, it's a story about, um, well, about a father sacrificing his son. Uh, everything prior to this, uh, chapter 21, as I said, seems peachy. Abraham's in this relationship with, with the eternal God, with the enduring God. Life is good. The promises of God are sure. There have been ups and downs, but, but it looks like things are coming together. He's settled there. He's got peace with the people of the land. Yes, he's a foreigner, but he's got a son who's growing up, and God's promises are finally true. God is eternal. God is enduring. And yet that same God who gives him such stability is the one who comes and says, Abraham, I'm going to test you. Um, it's just right at the start, be very clear that test is not the same as tempt. God never tempts us. James says that we are tempted when our own evil desires pull us in certain ways. God never tempts us. But God does test, uh, prove the whole of Abraham's journey with God has revolved around God's promises to Abraham. 
to bless him, make his name great, give him descendants and land, and ultimately to bless all of the nations of the world through him. But, but all of those promises, as I said, are tied up in Abraham and Sarah having a child. You're not going to be a great nation, the father of a great nation, if you're not even the father of a child. You are certainly not going to bless the whole world through your offspring, through your seed, uh, if, if you don't have a child. And Isaac has come purely by grace. And now God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, go and destroy him. And there's a, a horrible paradox there. How can God's promises come true? Not a paradox, a contradiction. How can God's promises come true if Isaac is to die? And what sort of God would ask a father to kill a son? Child sacrifice was practiced by some of the communities around Abraham, but, but why would God do that? This is the God who hears the cries of, of Ishmael and Hagar. This is the God who cares for those who are suffering. This is the God who, who hears the outcry later of the slaves in Egypt. This is the God who hangs on the cross and as a thief hangs next to him and says, uh, uh, remember me, says, I will, I will remember you, you'll be with me. How could this God turn to someone and say, go and kill another person? Not just another person, go and kill the one you love most that you've been waiting years, like a hundred years for. Why would God do that? And why the long journey? Have you ever thought about that? God says to Abraham, right, Abraham, I'm going to test your faith. I want you to kill Isaac. Now surely, I would have thought if God wants to see whether Abraham is for him, God would have said, right, you're living here in Beersheba, you're worshipping me, there's probably an altar here, go out, kill him now. Why does God say, go to the land of Moriah? Now, there's a possibility you might see in your footnotes in your Bible that this is maybe linked to Jerusalem. It's debatable. It's possible it's just two names that are the same. But I, I, one of the uh, great Old Testament thinkers is a guy called John Walton, uh, who has given me a lot of great ideas. And, and what he said here is, is that the three days journey that God sends Abraham on is vital for God's purpose in testing Abraham. See, when Abraham acts in obedience to God, it's not a knee-jerk, instant reaction. And it's not a, okay, I don't want to do this, God, but I'm going to get it over and done with before I have to think about it kind of reaction. God says, Abraham, I want you to go over there a long way away. And for three days, Abraham has to walk next to his son. For three days, Abraham has to think about what God has told him to do. For three days, Abraham has to think about what he's going to do and what, what God's promises have said and how this is going to happen and whether he can actually do what God tells him to do. Can you imagine spending three days 
God comes to you and says, I want you to sacrifice what is most dear to you, and I want you to walk next to it for three days. You see, I think one of the reasons why God sends Abraham to Moriah instead of saying, do it now, is because Abraham's long journey transforms what he does from a reaction to God's command to a decision to obey command of God. Um, Taryn and I have been re-watching the extended editions of The Lord of the Rings, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, if you don't know the story, you're probably going to not understand what I'm going to say. But in The Lord of the Rings, there is a ring uh, that has to be destroyed. But it's a ring that, that's got a sort of a demonic influence on whoever has it. And they're destroying it because they want to rid the world of that evil. And he's got this long journey to make, and it's perilous, and it's dangerous, and he eventually arrives at the place where he can destroy the ring, and Frodo says, that's the hero, turns and says, I won't do it. It's mine. I've been told this is the only thing to do, but I won't do it. I know the command, I know the instruction, but this is too precious to me. What does Abraham do? He goes on the same long journey with your son, your only son, the precious one, the one through whom the promises will come true. And he goes and God says, go a long way. And on the third day they see the place and Abraham says, I Well, he says, to the servants, wait here. The two of us will go. And the two of us will worship and the two of us will come back. You get some commentators and thinkers who go, oh, he was lying. I don't know. I think at this point, Abram's going, I know what I must do. And I'm going to go and do it. And yet, God will provide. Isaac's old enough at this stage to carry the wood. So he's, he's probably... 10, 11, 12, 13, we, we don't know. He's, he's old enough to carry the wood, which means when his father tries to tie him up to kill him, he's old enough to retaliate. We don't hear anything of that. We, we don't hear any conversation with them after this little bit in, in verse 8, uh, verse uh, 5 to 8. Uh, Isaac turns to his dad and says, Dad, you've forgotten something. You've forgotten the lamb. And I can't help but wonder if this is not the nth time that Isaac has said this, because they've been traveling three days to go and sacrifice. And Isaac is not a stupid lad by, by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm sure on the first day he would have said, Dad, Dad, don't forget the lamb. But it's now, they're going up and it's, this the, we're going to build the altar. That Dad, where's the lamb? And Abraham turns to him and says, God will provide. And 
the word for provide there is the word for see. God will see. God will see to it. God will see to it, Isaac. God will provide the lamb. And, and, and already at this point, I, I can't help but wonder if, if Abraham is thinking, God will provide a sacrifice for you, Isaac. I'm trusting that God's going God's to provide a, a, a substitute. But, but even if God didn't provide a substitute, Abraham was setting out to do what God had commanded. As far as he knew, perhaps Isaac was to be the sheep. Abraham didn't know, but he knew that God would see to it. Abraham didn't understand how God could command him to destroy the promise, and yet God would say that the promises are sure. God, God made an oath. God swore, God made promises. And Abraham says, God, I'm going to leave you to see to reconciling those two things. God will see to reconciling the contradiction. God will provide. And we're not told the emotionally charged details of what happens. They go up there, they build an altar, it would have taken a bit of time. And then we're just told, Abraham ties up Isaac and puts him on the altar. I, I wonder how he did that. How, how he felt, how he behaved. Did he, did he have tears in his eyes as he did it? It seems like Isaac didn't fight back. We're not told about him fighting back. Maybe he did. We, we're just not told. Did Abraham go slowly? Was he constantly looking around him to see where the substitute is that God would provide? I don't know. I can only imagine that Abraham would have been going, God, if you're going to act, now's a good time. And yet he trusts God. Hebrews chapter 11 has something to say about Abraham uh, in that wonderful chapter uh, of the, the heroes of the faith. Hebrews uh, chapter 11 verse um, 17 to 19 says, It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reckoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. And we know the story that, that he ties him up and the knife is held over his son. Can you imagine Isaac's eyes? And God intervenes and provides a ram. Not a lamb. Incidentally, a ram. And we've got to ask myself, why doesn't God intervene earlier? Why does God leave it so late to send his angel to say, Abraham, stop. It's only as the knife is about to plunge that God intervenes and speaks. I wonder if that's because it's only when the knife is about to plunge that Abraham has actually decided to trust God. 
You know, theory is fine, but it's just theory. I have someone who says to me all the time, think of it this way, Nick. You say you want to get fit, and that's laudable and wonderful, but do you actually exercise? Not as much as I should. (laughs) But isn't that the truth, that we can be very good in theory, but actually in practice is a different thing. In theory, Abraham had decided three days ago that he was going to obey God. Actually, practicing is something very different. And he faces his ultimate sacrifice, including his beloved son. And God is loving and kind. And we said earlier what sort of a God would do this. God never intended for Isaac to be hurt. Um, God was always going to stop Abraham. And if Abraham had decided not to trust God, well, God wouldn't have had to stop Abraham. God hates child sacrifice. He says so clearly later on in the Old Testament. And if Abraham had refused to stop, God would have raised Isaac from the dead and had a few choice words for Abraham, I'm sure. That's speculation. But the point of all this has never been about sacrificing Isaac. The point about this has been about Abraham, well, the point for Abraham is about sacrificing his own will. This is about Abraham being willing to trust God with everything. But have a look at Genesis chapter 22, verse 12. Genesis twenty-two twelve 12 says, Don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Why does God send his angel to say, Stop. Because when Abram is about to kill Isaac, God knows. Now I know that you really fear me. Yes, God is all-knowing and God knows the heart of Abraham. But, but Genesis 22 verse 12 says that the point of this was for God to know whether Abraham truly feared God. And it's one thing to know something, but it's another thing to, to have it demonstrated. As, as I said, it's, it's one thing to say I want to get fit. It's another thing to actually set about getting fit. God knows everything about us, but he wants us to enact our trust in him. He, he knows what we need, and yet he says, ask me for it. He has already died to save us, and yet he says, turn to me and seek forgiveness. He wants us to trust him when, when the chips are down and he wants us to trust him when life is rosy. In practice. Uh, for example, if you ask my wife whether I love her, she'll say yes. But it's important that I actually show that I love her. God knew in advance that Abraham would fear him, but Abraham for himself still had to choose to trust God and still had to choose to enact 
that. To bring it into fruition, into reality for himself. I mean, before this, Abraham has sacrificed for God already. He, he's sacrificed his security of his home, his, his, his family. He left that all in Genesis chapter 12. But at that time, God's promises came along with the sacrifice. God said, leave and I will give you more than you leave. This time, God comes and just says, Abraham, will you do what I ask? Full stop. This is a test to see if Abraham really trusts in God or just trusts in what God gives him. Abraham chose to trust in God and I'm willing to bet it wasn't an easy choice for him. <clears throat> he knew how good God is, but Isaac was right there. So what has this all got to do with us today? Um, please don't take away from this that God might ask you to slaughter a child. Um, he won't. That's not the point. But the question of whether we really fear God is as much one for us as it was for Abraham. In uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 23, Jesus encounters a young man who's very wealthy and he, he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, 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 Rabbi, teacher, what must I do? What, what must I do? What must I do? To, to inherit eternal life. Luke chapter 18. Um, there it is. Verse 18. Good teacher, what should I do to inherit good life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God's truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. And the man said, I've, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And then Jesus heard his answer, he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. And when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. This was a good man. This was an upright man. But Jesus turns to him and says, I want you to give up everything that is most precious to you. Give it away and follow me. And in that culture, if you were well off, uh, if you were a wealthy man, God obviously blessed you and he, God was in your favor or you were in God's favor. And Jesus says, I want you to give it all up. Do you want God more than the things that God has given you? It's a good question for us. Would I trust God, live for Him, just for the sake of Him and for no other reward? Yes, there is great benefit to knowing God, to knowing Jesus. But it is so easy for us and so tempting for us to be just about siphoning off the benefits of knowing God without actually having to trust Him. God comes and says, I want you to trust me completely. Faith is matured through testing, and testing, brothers and sisters, is horrible from our experience. 
I think anyone who has experienced it will agree. It's not usually a pleasant experience. Hebrews says in chapter 12, verse 6, that God disciplines those that he loves. I think he also tests those that he loves. And for faith to be shown to be real, you actually have to choose to trust, to put it into action. James says, faith without works is dead. That's James chapter 2, verse 17. You know, we sang a couple of songs. The last two we sang just before here. And we, we spoke about this a bit at music group. Um, heaven, your presence is heaven to me. Beautiful words. And I love you more than life. We sing that. But do we really mean that? I know that I often fail that test. Far too often. (laughs) There are things that I am loath to give up for God. Some good, some evil. I love you more than life, God, with a different tune. But don't ask me to give up my job. I love you more than life, God. But my pension's so small, I can't do anything else. I love you more than life, God. But my children are so precious to me. And they're doing something you think isn't right. So maybe... But out of this, God, I love you more than life, God, except. I love you more than life, God, except I don't. Except I actually want to do this instead. For Abraham, it would have been so easy for him to say, I love you more than life, God, except I'm not going to sacrifice my son. I love you more than life, God, except I actually want to do that. Abraham teaches us to take the long journey with God and say and ask ourselves, when push comes to shove, Will I trust God? Is God worth it? Is God worth giving up everything for? That's a question that I know I have to come back to day after day after day, and I think it's a question that we all have to come back day after day after day. Because the things of God are wonderful. The gifts are incredible, and it's easy for us to be distracted. And because, as the New Testament reminds us, um, we have evil desires within us waging war against our souls. And the only reason they are slightly successful is because we want them more than God. Peter says, put them to death. Paul says, put them to death. Abraham says, choose, will you trust God or not? Are you willing to sacrifice your will, yourself, for God? There's another point to all of this. 
We can dare to trust God because God has already shown us grace. You know what I love about this test is that God doesn't test Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 where God says, come Abraham, I'm going to take you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make your name great. Right, let's see if you're up for the task. If anything, Abraham proves he's not up for the task (laughs) time and time again. But in Abraham's life, in Genesis chapter 12, the very first thing that God does to him is show him grace and mercy, undeserved kindness. And then in Genesis chapter 13, grace and mercy, undeserved kindness. And then in Genesis chapter 14, grace and mercy, undeserved kindness. You never guess what happens in Genesis 15. Grace and mercy, undeserved kindness. Chapter 16 is a bit different. Grace and mercy, undeserved kindness. 17, grace and mercy, undeserved kindness. 18, grace and mercy, undeserved kindness. 19, grace and mercy, undeserved kindness. 20, grace and mercy, undeserved kindness. 21, grace and mercy, undeserved kindness. 22, grace and mercy, undeserved kindness. Yes, there's a test in 22, but but the story of, of God's interaction with Abraham is not ultimately the story of a test. The story of Abraham is is the story of grace and mercy, undeserved kindness. And yes, God says, I want you to actually choose to trust me, Abraham, but I've already decided to bless you. I've already promised you stuff. I've already sworn on my own name that I will bring this to pass, Abraham. And now I'm going to say to you, Abraham, will you trust me? Abraham chose to trust God, but if in this instance, Abraham hadn't trusted God, what would God God have done? Would he have said, well, that's it, Abraham. Get lost, I'll choose someone. No! God had already promised and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. You are going to be the one through whom the world will be blessed. Grace and mercy comes first. In fact, the New Testament is very big on this. Paul says, uh, grace comes first. The promise of God comes before any law, any instruction, any command. Take that back. There is the command to go. But even that is coupled with go and I will bless you. This is real love, says Jesus' friend. The one that Jesus loved. Isn't that just a fantastic name for someone? The disciple that Jesus loved, John. And he wrote some letters which are all about Jesus' love. 1 John chapter 4, he says, This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. See, God doesn't give up on us. He doesn't just ask us to give up everything for him. God actually gives up for us. God gives up for us. Where's the sheep, Dad, for the sacrifice? And at the last minute, God provides a ram. Technically a sheep, but a ram. Not a lamb, a ram. Because the true substitute, the lamb of God, was yet to come. And ironically, it wasn't a lamb. It was actually the offspring of Abraham through human lineage, Jesus. On the Mount of God, God has seen to it. He has provided the needed sacrifice. The promise of blessing the nations, blessing us 
through Abraham came through a sacrifice. The sacrifice of the ultimate descendant of Abraham through the flesh, Jesus. You see, Abraham had latched onto something that God will provide. If we trust God, he is the great provider. And to Abraham, uh, at the end of that chapter, he expands and repeats his promise because Abraham has trusted God. But if we trust in Jesus, he promises that he will never, ever let us go, that, that he will return to bring us home to himself. God stopped Abraham from killing Isaac because it wasn't about that. It was, that for Abraham was about the question of, will I trust God? And that's a challenge for us. But the good news is that God doesn't base his acceptance on us, on his testing of us. Paul speaks about some being saved as through a fire. How did Abraham feel as he put the wood on his son, as he led him away to be killed, as he tied him up, as he held that knife? How did God the Father when his unique son had the wood placed on him as he walked all that way as he watched him hang on that cross God said I want to see if you'll give up everything for me But God turns and says, actually, I'm going to give up everything for you. Today, we're on a journey just like Abraham. And I can't imagine anything but that Abraham on those three days was in turmoil. At times thinking, what am I doing? I can't do this. At times thinking, but I will trust God. Vacillating between giving everything to God and holding back, wanting control. If there is one thing that that Abraham's experience teaches us, it's this, that God will provide. If he's made promises, and he has, he made promises to Abraham, he made promises to us that he will save us, not depending on us, but just on him, then he's worth it. Abraham says God is worth it. Abram says, let us trust God. Let us trust God. Even if it seems like God is asking too much. Let us trust God because in that mathematics, God has already given up too much. Except it's not too much, it's Well, it is. It's overabundantly sufficient. Brothers and sisters, we will keep on singing, I love you more than life. We will keep on singing, your presence is heaven to me. 
as we journey on to the time that Jesus returns, may those words and those choices become clearer and more solid so that we too, when, when the end comes and we're standing and Jesus comes, God will look and say, now I know that you really love me. Notice God doesn't say to Abraham, now I know that I really love you. He says, now I know that you really love me. You see, this is love. Not that we love God, that, but, but that he loved us and gave his son as a sacrifice for us. Anna Marie. We're trusting in a good God, a strong God, a mighty God, a holy God, the one and only. Let's just glorify him.